Well, today we are starting a new series, and we are talking about some of our greatest fears and what the Bible has to say about those things, with it being just a few days from Halloween. It felt appropriate time for us to talk about the things that, that uh, terrify us. And so I know I've shared this story before. When we lived in Southern California, we, uh, we were real close to Disneyland, and so we had residence passes there, and we would uh, frequent it regularly. We'd go there all the time, and, and I don't mind. I like roller coasters. What I can't stand are the rides that go straight up and down, right? I, I just, I can't, I can't handle those. And so in a moment of weakness and a lot of peer pressure, uh, people convinced me, my, my friends convinced me, right, that, that we were going to go on this ride uh, called the Tower of Terror. And uh, let me just tell you that it lives up completely to its name and uh, that it is all fulfilled in that. It's uh, uh, probably the most terrifying experience that I've had in my life. And I nearly died in a car crash, right? It's like, it's that, it's, it's that bad. And uh, so if you've never been on it, if you've never experienced a Tower of Terror, let me be a kinder friend to you than mine were to me. Don't. Don't do it, right? Like, don't, don't go near it. Don't go in the state. Like, whatever you got to do just to stay away from this thing. It's, it, it's that bad. It's basically a giant elevator, and they, they raise you to the top, and then they make you wait there for a while in anticipation of the fun that's coming, right? And so you're just, you're just sitting there waiting, and eventually they drop you straight towards hell, right? Like that's what happens. And literally as you're plummeting down, they stop before you get there, which is very kind of them, uh, just so that they can raise you back up and drop you again and raise you up and drop times eternity, right? And that's basically what happens on, on this ride. It, it's, it's absolutely, um, absolutely the worst. I, uh, as I was holding on to my seat, right, throughout this in, entire thing, what I, what I quickly discovered was everyone else was screaming, I was yelling out all of my sins to Jesus, right? Like that's, that's basically what was happening. And I think I got saved on the Tower of Terror seven times, right? Every time it dropped, I'm like, Jesus, here I come, right? Like, uh, uh, take me now. Like it was, it was that bad of a ride. And, uh, uh, but probably the hardest part for me was that throughout the entire ride, there was an eight-year-old girl behind me that was, that was just terrified and, and screaming. And I remember thinking, like, these are the worst parents ever, right? Like, who would bring their child on a ride like this? And so uh, when Satan's death trap finally came to an end and Laura reached over to unbuckle my seatbelt for me because I couldn't quite let go of the seat yet, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to console this girl because I was terrified too. And, and so I turned around and, and I looked at her, and, and that's when I heard her say, this is the best ride ever! Right? And then she looked at me and she said, except for all the screaming. And she was looking at me, right? And in that moment, and I realized, wow, in the face of death, I scream like an eight-year-old girl. And, and I'm okay with it. I, I really, I really am. We all deal with fears in our lives. In fact, I, I found a, a blog post that really kind of became the inspiration of, of, of this message in this series it's the top 10 fear-based searches on search engines like Google or, or Siri or whatever it is. These are the top 10 things that people are searching for on the internet, the biggest fears. And so I wanted you to take a look at them. The first one is the fear of flying. I'm not sure that's accurate. I think it's the fear of crashing really is more of what people are scared of. Semantics maybe, but uh, that's the first one. Second is the fear of public speaking. <laughs> too late for me, right? But, but you guys maybe are, are okay. Uh, the third one is the, the fear of heights. Anyone, anyone afraid of heights? Afraid of heights out there? Some of you? Yeah, afraid of heights. That's, that's not fun. Fourth, fear of the dark. 
Uh, we could test that one in just a second if you want. We could talk all the lights out. We, we won't do that to you because some of you are already like clutching on to something, just holding on. Uh, we won't do that. A uh, uh, fifth one is the fear of intimacy. Now, Mike and Laura, in our last series on the family, they, they dealt with that a few weeks ago, so I don't think we need to, to go anywhere near that one. The sixth one is the fear of death. I get it. That's, that one's final, right? And so that makes sense. A seventh one, fear of failure. The eighth one is the fear of rejection. How many of you, how many of you fear rejection? You're like, I'd put my hand up, but I'm scared of what other people might say. Right, I, okay, you see, you're, you're right there living in that fear. Uh, and ninth one, fear of spiders. Fear of spiders, anyone? Yeah, fear of spiders. Do you want to see some pictures? I'm just kidding. I'm okay, we won't, we won't do that to you. And then the last one, the last one is this, it's the fear of commitment. Fear of commitment. If you're here on your very first date, have fun um, in your define the relationship conversation you're going to have at dinner afterwards, right? Like uh, that's just kind of where we are. So in this series, in the series, we're going to talk about three of the biggest fears that are, are on that list that all of us deal with, not spiders, because that's not in the Bible, but we're going to talk about rejection today. Next week, we're going to talk about the fear of failure. We all understand what that is like. And then the final week, we're going to talk about the fear of commitment. Three of the biggest fears that we all experience in life. Now, I understand rejection because for over 20 years, I, I was a, a youth pastor and I worked with teenagers uh, who, have, who have no understanding, right, of, of the words that they say and the implications that, that can come from it, right? They're, they're brutal sometimes in, in the things. I've seen them bring like, like grown manly men to their knees in, in the words that have come out of their mouths. In fact, I, I remember at one point some things that students have said to me, uh, is that a new shirt? Because I think it's stupid, right? And you're like, wow, that's, a, that's an aggressive statement. Uh, I remember one student saying, I brought a friend to hear you last week. You weren't very good. Uh, and, then, and then finally, I had a student that came up and, and said, hey, you're kind of cool. And I was like, wow, this one's, this one's actually a compliment for someone as old as you, right? And I was like, there it is, right? There, there, there it is around that corner. And so we understand those things in, in our lives. A few weeks ago, I had the chance of teaching some of our middle school students. And, and that literally is the definition of the fear of failure, is standing up in front of a, a bunch of people that you know are going to reject you. I learned a long time ago to not try to be cool because I'm not, right? I'm, I'm older than their parents. I don't dress like they do. I'm not getting uh, anything pierced. I have, I'm happy with the holes that God gave me, right? I, I don't like their music. I don't understand their music. I don't listen to their music. I listen to sports talk radio. That's what I do, right? So it's actually why I like being here, because most of you are nice, and so uh, I don't mind that as much. So I'm kind of an expert on this whole thing of, of rejection, and, and, and as we talk about this, I want to try and help us figure out how do we break free from rejection and, and the trap of it and, and even the fear of it that lives in, in our lives. See, it's not just, though, because I hung out with, with teenagers for a long time that, that I'm an expert on the whole rejection thing. In fact, this is something that I have worked through, wrestled with, struggled with for most of my life, is, is understanding and wrestling through my worth and, and through the, the value uh, that I have and, and what I have to, to contribute. The fear of rejection has been a, a constant struggle in my life. It, it could be the autobiography. Or that's the title of, of my autobiography in life. I, I would write it, but I'm afraid of people would reject it, right? And so, so you kind of stay away from those things. Rejection happens in all kinds of different ways. It's happened to every single one of us, whether it's not making the team, maybe it's not getting the grades and so you didn't get into the, the program you wanted to or you didn't get into the school of your dreams. Maybe at work it, it happens in the context of not getting the job. 
or not getting the, the promotion or not getting the, the raise that you feel you deserved. Maybe it's how you're treated by your boss or the other, the other employees that are there. We've all felt the rejection of asking out someone who was out of our league, right, for them to quickly remind us that, yeah, they're quickly, they're definitely out of, out of our league. Maybe for some of us, it's in that place where it's a, it's a family member, where we try really, really hard, but no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we can never win their approval, right? It's never enough, no matter what we give towards. In fact, for some of us, some of us are still trying to win the approval of a, of a family member, of, of a parent that's not even around anymore. And yet we're still living our lives in fear of that, trying to, trying to accomplish things so that, so that maybe one day they would be proud of us. See, we've all experienced the sting of rejection. And as a result, we can all end up living in fear of it as well. And the fear keeps us from doing things, right? It keeps us from trying new things. Sometimes that fear, it shows up, it keeps us from trying again, right? I remember the last time I did this, and I remember what people said and, and what people did. There's no way I'm going to do that again. It turns us into people that we never imagined that we would be, that we're doing things that we never, never thought that we would ever do, just trying to impress people that we really, we really don't need to impress. So let me ask you this question. What does your fear cost you? Because the fear of rejection, it costs you something, right? It, it absolutely has a cost in our lives. It, it creates this emotional um, insecurity for each of us. It, it's really the birthplace for, for those of us that have um, approval addictions, right? Where we start to live our lives and be consumed by, by how do I make decisions to please the people around me? It costs us our confidence. It causes um, conformity. Right? Instead of doing the things that God created us to do and being the unique individuals he created us to be, we try to blend in. We try to act just like everyone else does. It leads to a distorted um, understanding and a, and a distorted value of what's important. And maybe the worst thing is it, is it leads to a misunderstanding of who God is, a misunderstanding of how God sees us and what he believes to be true and what he has said is true about us. But what if there was a way? What if there was a way that we could be set free from that fear? Jesus, one day, he had an interaction with a, with a guy, and I think through this story and through this interaction, uh, it can help us. Uh, this was a guy who had understood rejection. In fact, I would say that I'm not even sure his mama like, reject, didn't reject him, right? Like, he understood this. And so I think this will help us, both those of us that are, are dealing with rejection and provide principles for those of us who are living in the fear of it. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And that's where we're going to hang out for a little while. Uh, today, if you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the side screens. You can follow along there. You can download our app as well. We've got a, a place where you can add to the notes and follow along with some of the notes that are there. During Jesus' ministry here on earth, he always, always looked for people that had been forgotten by others, right? The ones that were disenfranchised, the ones that had been disregarded, the ones that had been despised, those who would, we would call rejected by others. One day he had an encounter with a guy named Zacchaeus, and, and tradition tells us some things about Zacchaeus. In fact, it tells us that he was the shortest man in, in the city of Jericho, and so you can imagine that Zacchaeus probably already felt some vulnerability, right? He had heard the comments. He had seen people uh, pointing and, and laughing at him. But Zacchaeus is also, by tradition, told, we're told that he was also the most hated man in the city of Jericho. And he, better than most, understood this whole concept of rejection. And I think there are several truths in this story based on Jesus' interaction 
with Zacchaeus that can help us to, to be set free from, from that fear of rejection in our lives. Look at 19 verse 1. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So let's just stop there for a second and, and just look at this. Zacchaeus, he's a, he's a tax collector, right? But not just a tax collector. He's, he's the chief. And so he doesn't just collect taxes from people, but he's the one that is in, in charge of the entire operation. Strike one for Zacchaeus. He's also Jewish, but he's working for the Roman government, right? And so he's taking taxes from, from fellow Jewish people, from, from his people, and, and giving it to the Romans who are oppressing them. And so he's basically a, a traitor to his own people, strike two. But not only did he collect the taxes that the Romans required, he, he would also kind of dip in and, and take a little extra for himself. Right, Zacchaeus would go house to house with, with somebody from the, the Roman guard. And, and when Mrs. Jones paid her appropriate taxes of what she owed the Romans, and then uh, Zacchaeus would lean in and say, hey, uh, Guido, I, I think Mrs. Jones wants to give us a, a little something, something, right? A little extra on top of this. Guido, why don't you help Mrs. Jones find that for her? Right? And then she would then pay an additional tax on top of it. That's what Zacchaeus would take. That's how he became rich. He was extorting his own people. Strike three. He was dishonest. He was a traitor, right? He, he was a thief, and he was hated by everyone around him. See, tax collectors, they're, they're, never, they're never popular people as they're, they're listed in the Bible, right? And, and so Zacchaeus is living in, in this place, and, and he's not scoring too high on the, on the approval ratings, right? That, that's not where Zacchaeus is, not what he's shooting for in life. Verse three, it says this, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. I, I love this. There's a few things to notice in, in these couple of verses. Here's the first one. He wanted to see who Jesus was, right? It, it's, his curiosity is, is showing here, and it's not because a, it's a love for Jesus or even a relationship with Jesus. As far as we know, he doesn't know Jesus. He's never met Jesus but he's heard about him, right? And so he heard about Jesus' teachings. He's heard about the healings that he has done. He's heard about the miracles that Jesus has performed, the compassion that Jesus has shown to people who were, who were just like him, people who had been rejected by everyone else, who were outcasts in their community. Here's the second thing that we see in these couple verses. There's a, there's a crowd that's gathered. See, it's not just Zacchaeus who is curious, but the, the crowd is also curious. See, everywhere Jesus went, there's a crowd of people that, that followed him, right? It's like, it's like going to the fair and you, and you get to that place where you're just like, just stop touching me, right? Like there's people everywhere. I, I've got I've to leave. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd of people. In fact, Anne Stanley says this, that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. So in this crowd, right, we know there's a mix of people. There are people who loved Jesus. They are following Jesus everywhere Jesus goes. They are putting into practice everything that Jesus teaches them. Most of this crowd, right, are, are people who are, are following, and, and, and they're, just, they're just not sure. Maybe they're curious. Maybe they're checking it out. Maybe they're trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. He's entertaining at a bare minimum. He says things that no one else says, and he does things that, that nobody else can do. And, and so there's a crowd of people that are just following that are curious. And then there's some in that crowd who have already made up their minds. They, they hate Jesus. They've already chosen to reject Jesus. And they're looking for ways to trap Jesus and, and to trip Jesus up. And so there's a crowd that's there. But here's the third thing in these verses. We see that Zacchaeus is, is too short 
to see. See, the Greek word for short, it, it describes the body of an underdeveloped child. Now, I'm, I'm 6'2", and, uh, and so I'm taller than, than a lot of people, right? And, and so growing up, I didn't ever understand this because I was always one of the tallest in all of my classes. Uh, when I meet people from some of the other campuses, I, I usually get comments like, you're much taller in person. I'm like, thanks, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I once recently got, you look older in person than you do on the screen, which was, which was nice, right? No, no fear of rejection at all, right, right there. So there's this guy, there's this guy that goes to Hope, and his name's Jerry. And, uh, and we call him Big Jerry, and there's a reason why. This is, this is Big Jerry. His, his hand, as you can see, is, is bigger than my head. And, and I asked him, when I, when I sent him, I said, hey, can I show this picture? Um, his response was, yeah, you can show it. We look hardcore. And I'm like, no, dude, you look hardcore, right? Like, I'm in pain because you're hugging me, right? That's all that's happening here in this picture. And, and so I am standing next to Jerry. And when I stand next to him, I, I look up to him, right? And, and, I, and I feel small. When he hugs me, my face goes in his armpit, and, and, and it's okay. I just tell him it's nice because he's that much bigger than I am. Like, what am I going to do about it? And so here we are, right? I get this place maybe of understanding a little bit better of, of what Zacchaeus is feeling. Now let's combine all of the things that we know. He is a short, hated tax collector that is standing in the middle of a crowd. I'm sure no one took advantage of this situation at all, right? I, I'm sure no one is calling him names. I, I'm sure no one is, is throwing elbows at Zacchaeus' forehead. No one's taking their drinks and, and resting it on top of his head, right? Like, nobody's doing these things because nobody feels bad for Zacchaeus. No one's inviting him to the, the pre-Jesus tailgate party that's happening, right? Nobody's letting Zacchaeus cut in front because he's short. He, he needs to be at the front so he can see. Nobody's, nobody's making those concessions for him. And I wonder, I wonder what Zacchaeus is thinking about himself, right? Because he knows I've got appearance issues. I'm, I'm short. Right? Everyone's been pointing it out and making fun of me for, for my entire life. He's got achievement issues. I'm a thief. I, I steal from my friends, from, from people around me, my people, right? So that I can get rich off of it. He's got approval issues. He's hated by everyone. And so Zacchaeus, he understands rejection. Right? He, he's lived in this world for so long. Maybe some of us, maybe we can relate to that feeling too. Maybe as a result, you become a, a, a people pleaser. And now you do things, right, that, that you never imagined that you would do. You end up in the next day hating yourself, regretting the decisions that you made, feeling guilty about what it was that you did just because you wanted to be accepted by someone. Just because you wanted someone to like you. You wanted someone to, to let you in and be a part of, of their crowd. See, one of the things that I love about this story is that in this moment, Zacchaeus realizes that, that he has nothing, nothing to lose. See, he stopped caring about what other people thought. He, he stopped caring about all of the things that people were saying about him. And in this moment, he rejected his fear of rejection. And he did what no self-respecting Jewish man would do. Two things. One is he ran and then he climbed a tree. See, for Zacchaeus, he had nothing to lose. He was done caring about what other people said. He just wanted to see Jesus that bad. Verse 5 says this, But when, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. We're going we're gonna to come back to this in, in, in just a few minutes, but I, I want you to notice I want you to notice the fact that Jesus noticed him, right? That Jesus called him, and he didn't say, hey, you, hey, hey, guy in the tree, right? He, he called him by name. 
And maybe you're thinking, well, sure, Donnie, right? I mean, Zacchaeus, he kind of has a reputation. Everybody knows who Zacchaeus is. In fact, in fact, there's a Sunday school song written about him, about being a wee little man, and a, a wee little man is he, right? Like, everybody knew who Zacchaeus was. But see, Jesus, when he calls out Zacchaeus' name, he didn't call out his name mocking him. He didn't call out his name in judgment of him, right? He's, he's not rejecting him like everyone else around has already done. When Jesus calls his name, he says, Zacchaeus. He says, I want, I want to hang out with you. Uh, you and I, we're, we're going to spend some time together. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to share stories. We're, we're going to have a meal together. We're, we're going to invest in each other's lives. And, and Zacchaeus, man, he, he's so excited. I imagine he does the whole uh, American Ninja Warrior thing, right? As he's coming out of that tree, he's just going from branch to branch and tree trunk to, to tree trunk, right? Because he can't get down fast enough because he wasn't going to miss this opportunity. Verse 7, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, now the, the rejection, it, it shifts. It, it shifts from, from Zacchaeus to Jesus. And so Jesus understands rejection too. See, if you can relate to Zacchaeus in, in any way, it, it's so important for you to understand this. Jesus isn't rejecting Zacchaeus. And he doesn't reject you either. And if you would call yourself a, a follower of Jesus, I want you to take note of something from, from this as well. Don't be like this crowd. Don't be like the crowd that's passing judgment on, on other people, especially when Jesus doesn't do it. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said, he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, something big has happened. And we don't know what Jesus said. We don't know what Jesus did. We don't even know how long they spent together. But everything in Zacchaeus' life has changed the moment that he met Jesus. And now he's giving his money and he's giving his stuff away to the poor. And, and I love the line that he says, and if I cheated anybody, you think, right? You cheated everybody, Zach. Like everybody you owe. But I love his response. He said, I will pay them back with interest four times the amount. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I want you to remember that and hold on to it. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. See, this is so important for us to understand and get. No matter what you have done, no matter what anyone else has ever said about you or, or whatever they think about you, whatever their opinions are of you, even if that's turned in and you've taken that and turned it on yourself, no matter what you think about yourself, Jesus knows your name. He knows everything about you. And Jesus has this incredible ability of, of changing things from, from the most hopeless of circumstances or situations to hope-filled, to change things from rejection to relationship. Let me give you four truths that, that come from this story that, that are going to spell the word free, and they're going to help us because I think they can help us break free from the trap of rejection, the, the fear of it that paralyzes so many of us. Here's the first one. It starts with the word F. It's, it's face it. You face it. You know, some people won't like you. Right? There are very few, if any, people who liked Zacchaeus. And my guess is that it started early for him, probably in, in middle school. Right? Like many of us, it, he went out, to, everyone else had growth spurts, right? but, but for Zacchaeus, he didn't, he didn't have that growth spurt. He didn't grow like everyone else did. And so he went out for the basketball team, and I'm sure they said instead, Here, here's a water bottle, why don't you go fill it up? 
Right? He, he tried to do high jump, but, but he couldn't get over the bar. He, he just would walk underneath it. He wanted to play football. The, the coach looked at him and said, we don't have a, a, equipment that, that will fit you. There's no way you can play football. You'll get hurt. I imagine Zacchaeus, he ate alone at lunch. He walked alone back and forth to school. And so when he saw this opportunity to get rich as a, as a tax collector, I don't think he even had to think twice about it. Right? He had already been so hurt. He had heard every name under the sun. See, I think Zacchaeus, he had already faced it. People didn't like him. Dealing with the fear of rejection has got to start with the fact that we, we understand that some people just aren't going to like us. Isaiah 51 verse 12 says this, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? See, people are, are going to have their opinions, but here's what this, this verse reminds us of, is that we're all going to die one day and, and their opinions are going to go with them. So instead of fearing people, simply face it. No one wants to be rejected, right? I understand that. I'm not suggesting that. And when we are rejected, right, we feel it. It affects us. It, the pain and the sting that comes from that, I completely understand that. But my fear of rejection, it doesn't have to control my life, right? It doesn't need to consume me where, where I, I change who I am. It definitely shouldn't conform who I become just so that the, the, the thoughts and the opinions of other people, that they change me. See, Paul, one of the greatest Christian minds who ever lived, he, he wrote this in Galatians 1. He said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. See, what Paul's saying here is that he's making a choice that he's going to live for an, an audience of one, that his, his audience is, is God. See, when God is my focus, then I'm not concerned I'm not consumed by what other people say, what other people think of me. But if you live to please people, you set yourself up for real rejection all throughout your life. See, instead, we just need to face it. Some people aren't going to like you. Here's the second thing. Then, then from there, we refocus. We refocus on how God sees us. I love that when, when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, that he called him by name. See, Jesus knew more than just his name. Jesus knew every single thing about him. Jesus knew what he had done. Jesus knew what other people had said about him. But I love that out of everyone in this crowd, Jesus still chose him. And Jesus made the decision to accept him as he was. See, God sees you the exact same way that he sees Zacchaeus. No matter what you've done, God knows you by name. God has already displayed that he loves you where you are. God has done everything in our lives to create a relationship between us and him. And for some of us right now, just hearing that, right, that, that's enough for the weight to start being lifted off of our shoulders. See, if God sees you as worthy of being in a relationship with, then we should see ourselves, we should see our own worth through those same lenses. Some of you have taken the rejection that has been offered to you by others, and you've turned it on yourself, right? And, and, and now you, you've begun to believe it, and, and you've, you live in this place of rejection even of yourself. So you have to understand you are gifted. You are unique, right? God has a purpose for your life that is unique to you, and you need to believe that because that's the way that God sees you. Let me ask you a question. What would happen in your life if you began to refocus how you see yourself? So when you feel like an outcast, 
You're afraid of, of being rejected. I want you to focus on how God sees you. That God comes along and he says, no, 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 it's different. I made you. I know you. I know your name. I know every single thing about you. And you are absolutely incredible. Leads to the third thing, which is this, that you embrace God's love for you. I love Zach's response to Jesus um, inviting himself over, right? He's, he's not worried about, uh, do I have enough food, right? He's not worried about, is my house clean enough? Chick-fil-A is not open today. What are, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? He, he wasn't worried about what other people thought. He simply responded yes to Jesus' offer. I've been doing this whole thing of talking to people about God for over 25 years, and one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that if I want people to like me, it's, it's, it's really easy. I just tell funny stories or, or tell people the things that they want to hear. Right? I just tell people that they can go ahead and, and live however they want, or, or they can do what everyone else is doing. The problem with that is it, is, it wouldn't be the truth. It's not honest. It wouldn't help you in any way. See, when I have to get up here and, and, and talk in front of, of people as a recovering a, approval addict myself, I have to ask myself regularly, am I preparing this message just to, to make people happy? Am I doing this just so that people will like me? Or God, is this really what you want me to say to them. So we all know how to play the, the pretend game, don't we? In fact, some of us are really, really good at it. And we pretend and, and we fake it with our, with our spouse. We, we fake it with our small group leaders. We fake it with our, with our parents. But here's what I want you to remember. Hebrews 4.13 says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. See, God sees our weaknesses he sees our insecurities. He sees our failures. He sees our fears, our inadequacies. God sees everything in our lives. And even in spite of all of those things, he says, you know what, but I, I still love you. I still love you. No one can love you enough to meet all of your needs. They just can't. I don't care how, how rich they are. I don't care how hot they are. I, I don't care how nice of a human they are. There is no one person that can love you enough to meet all of your needs. Only God can do that. So quit trying to find it from other people. See, when we're focused on God's love, then we can relax. And we can live our lives not concerned and, and not consumed by the opinions of others. See, I, I love when, when Jesus called out to Zach and and when he invited himself over, I, I, love, I love his response. He, he couldn't get down out of that tree fast enough. And, and even though the crowd is, is, is mumbling, right, and they're saying things, I, I can't believe Jesus would do this. I don't think Zach heard any of the voices in the crowd because he was so focused on the voice of, of Jesus. When you embrace God's perfect love for you, the voices of other people, they're not going to completely disappear. But what happens is that they begin to be drowned out and they are put in their proper place when you can focus on the one voice that really matters. See, today the God who created you is calling you by name. And the question is this, is will you listen to him and will you embrace his love? Which leads to the last one, which is this, is that you expect. You can expect a result that comes from this. And you can expect your confidence to grow. See, the order of these things matters. It has to start with us facing it that not everyone's going to like us. And then we refocus instead on, on how God sees us. And when we can embrace God's love, then you can get to this place where you expect to live a confident life, not fearing the rejection of other people. See, when, when Zach met Jesus, everything in his life changed. You remember what he did? 
Remember when he came out and, and he said, everything that I've stolen, everything that, I, that I've taken, I'm going to give it back to people. See, the law, what the law required was that, that Zacchaeus give back what he took plus one-fifth in interest. But do you remember what Zach said? You remember what he decided he was going to give back? Jesus didn't tell him to do this. This was on his own. He said, I'm going to give back four times what I have stolen from others. Why? Because of his relationship with Jesus. As a result of that, his, his confidence is now growing, right? Everything has changed because of the context of understanding that he is loved and that he is valued and that he has worth in relationship with Jesus. I have a good friend whose nephew was born to a, a drug-addicted mom. His name's Daniel. He's not a little boy anymore, but when the, when the story happened, his, his mom was, um, she was addicted to all kinds of stuff. She couldn't take care of him, and so she gave him up to the county. And the county took him, and, and they took Daniel, and they put him in a foster home, and, and he was there for a little while. The foster home couldn't handle him, and so they gave him back to the county. And the county then found another foster home. He went there. He stayed there for a little while longer this time, but eventually they got to the same place where they said, we can't handle him either, and they gave him back to the county. And then Daniel's grandma stepped in, his mom's mom. The problem was is that, that she was also a drug addict, and so it only worked for a little while, and eventually she had to give Daniel back to the county as well. And so Daniel's been with his mom. He's been in two foster homes. He's been with his grandma, and now he is back living in the county. And that's where my friend's sister and her husband stepped in. They wanted to adopt, and, and so they became a foster family, and, and guess what happened, right? Daniel ended up in their home. And you can imagine what was going through his mind, even at, at his young age, right? He probably was thinking, I, I don't even need to bother unpacking my suitcase, because I know it's just a matter of time before I get sent back again. But they're going to leave him too, but they didn't. They filed for adoption papers, and, and about a year later, they were sitting in a courtroom with five-year-old Daniel. And he sat with it, gripping the arms of his mom and dad because that's what he called them for the past year because he recognized there was something, there was something different about them. And all of a sudden, the judge began asking several different questions uh, to the family. And, and he asked, is, is anyone making you take him to, to the mom? And she said, no, absolutely not. And he said, will he be a part of your inheritance? And she said, yes, yes, he'll be a part of our family. And then all of a sudden, the judge looked at Daniel and he said, Daniel, you're a very lucky boy. You get to be with an incredible family now. He said, I'm going to change your last name. And with that, he dropped his hammer and it was finished. And then Daniel, this five-year-old boy, he, he jumped up on his chair. And in the middle of the courtroom, he just started dancing. <laughs> He's just dancing everywhere because of the joy. See, he'd been accepted into his new family. They had been telling him for the past year, when this is final, you will be ours. Can you imagine the scene, right? The, the joy on his face. Because I think that's exactly what Zacchaeus' face looked like when Jesus called out to him. And today, it's, it's exactly how we can be in response to Jesus calling out to us. See, there was this whole new level of confidence that comes from knowing that you belong and then that you matter, not just for what you've done. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You matter because God made you his through what Jesus did on the cross, through your faith in, in him, that you can be adopted into God's family and you can watch your confidence grow. I want to leave you with that picture because some of you are, are trapped. 
Right? Some of us, are, we're just living trapped in, in, in the, the rejection of others or trapped in the fear of, of that rejection. And, and as a result, we're, we're living paralyzed lives. God doesn't want you to be trapped. So when we're trapped in our fear, it always costs us something. Let me give you the bottom line. When we're free of our fear, your fear won't cost you anymore. Imagine what this would look like. Imagine this week walking into school or walking into work and not worrying about what anyone else thought of you. Imagine with the, the holiday season coming up, right? Not, not having to have all of the stress of worrying about trying to, to win over or to please that family member, right? That's incredibly difficult to please. Imagine being able to get connected with a group of people and sharing your st- struggles and sharing your dreams because you don't, you don't have to worry about what they're going to think because you're confident in God's love for you. Imagine taking a risk and stepping out in faith and doing that thing that God has placed inside of your heart because you've made the choice to live for an audience of one. See, when you're free of your fear, your fear won't cost you. Next week, we're going to talk about failure. We all understand it. We've all been there. We've all done it. We're going to talk about how to not let our our past dictate our present and, and how to not let that then determine our future. Will you bow with me as we pray? God, so many of us are tired. Tired of living in in the shadows of rejection. God, in in the lies that we've believed, the fears that have caused us to miss out on on so much of of what you want for us and so much of what what you already have laid out for us. God, we're tired of being fake. Tired of wearing masks just to simply be accepted by other people. God, today, would you just please set us free from that. Because of who Jesus is, because of of what he did for us, because he calls us by name through his death and through his resurrection, setting us free from fear and then adopting us into into your family. God, we just want to say thank you for that love, for your perfect love, a love that, that, that is offered to us no matter what we've done, no matter what our, our past looks like. God, no matter, no matter what we look like, no matter how much money we have or, or what kind of family we came from, God, your love for us is perfect. And so would you help us to understand what it means to know you and, and to love you and to walk out of here today free. We thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your perfect and powerful name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 